I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. Uh, And as we usually do on Fridays, we are here in beautiful Newport Beach, California on a day that's looking like it's going to be pretty sunny with myself and uh, my colleague, Mr. Sean Latimer. Hello, hello. Pre-podcast, we were talking about how this article was confusing. So it makes for a great podcast uh, as we can draw clarity. Um, and the excuse I'll always use is that these get written at uh, on Thursday at 11 o'clock at night when I'm falling asleep. So Yeah, the uh, first thing Trevor says, oh, you didn't read it. I was like, no, I read it, but I'm not exactly clear what we're going to talk about. <laughs> so that's what we should do in this conversation. So um, I'm glad you came to the podcast here. Um, he- here's the background. What I usually like to do is kind of take notes on my phone throughout the week on uh, conversations I've had or questions or thoughts, and then try to kind of create that into, um, you know, something that's a thousand words to give you, um, you know, a, a look into my life as a financial advisor. And perhaps you pick up a couple things along the way that are advice. So for this one, I was thinking about this idea that, hey, as we live life, um, we get all these life lessons. And I said in the article, we're, we're collecting wisdom over time. And a lot of the time we collect that wisdom through experiences. So I look back at these particular experiences and I correlate those to um, different life lessons. So one that really sticks out to me is I remember in January of 2020, um, in my office, I'm, I, I don't have a photographic memory, but I remember vividly this, this scene um, where I was talking to a fairly new client, reviewing their portfolio, kind of moving the ball down the field on the financial plan. And one of the questions that they had, um, one of my colleagues was in the office as well, um, was, hey, what should be my posture or expectations with everything I'm starting to read in the news about COVID-19? And if we can take our memories there, remember in that January time, we didn't really know what was going to happen Kind of the world got flipped upside down over the next 90 days, mm-hmm. but we were still on the, the front end of that. So when when I was talking to him, I kind of went to a place of like, hey, if you look at history of, of these diseases and things like that, and you look at kind of SARS in, in 2003, or you look at Ebola and, and kind of when it came into the country and what we did and, and how it affected the markets for a few days, but then the markets kind of shook it off, um, that was kind of what I was telling him, hey this is going to happen all the time. There's going to be a news feed. This isn't very significant. And looking back at it, I was absolutely wrong. Yep. I remember that. We were like sitting at lunch and we were like, how long could this possibly happen? It, it, when things were starting to close or get canceled. And uh, I think it was when they announced March Madness was was not happening. I was like, oh, wow, this is real. This is, uh, this is not like a, what do we call it? Nothing burger. This is actually something. And, uh, and, and then obviously things continue to evolve or we're at home and all that stuff but you're right i think you look at this and unfortunately the the news feed kind of needs uh a sexy headline something to catch eyes so it's really hard at, at even after you do a little bit of research to say like wait is this is this as serious as it sounds or is this just something that's going to get clicks today yeah, and the whole actually I didn't write this in the article, but where this article came from is this week I was talking to somebody that is potentially interested in becoming a client. And you know, when you're going through that diligence process, there's uh questions you're going to get asked, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of one of the final questions was, "Hey, I'm kind of nervous about things that are going on in Russia right now, and I just want to know at the Bonsa group, what is your guys's game plan? What's your emergency backup plan if World War 3 happens?" And I didn't answer the question right away. 
Because in my mind, I was thinking, we don't have an emergency backup plan for that specifically. Mm-hmm. But instead of answering the question, um, what I asked her was, I said, hey, go back to this moment of COVID-19. And um, if you would have talked to me in January of 2020 with a similar question you're asking me now, but about COVID-19, I would have given you the wrong answer. Right. But I also would have given you the right advice. So how do we square those two things that uh, I don't have the crystal ball? I'm not going to be very good at short-term forecasting on geopolitical events or viruses or things like that, but I can still give the right financial advice. Because that seems like those two things can't... They seem like they don't fit together. They don't fit together. But, but it's what it feels true. like. Yeah. But I think it kind of goes down to the original planning at the very beginning that... Um, and I know I've said this. I've actually said this, I think, on like five podcasts. So forgive me, listeners, if you've heard me say this. But you, if you're planning for short-term things, you shouldn't be owning equities to begin with. And equities are what will be impacted the most by your World War Three or COVID moment. So I, I think it really comes down to the planning at the beginning and setting expectations. That way, it kind of makes this conversation like a mute point. You know what I mean? So now let's take it one step further. Um I know when somebody's interviewing an advisor, what they're really trying to get to is, can I trust this person? And when I was having a conversation recently, I realized that. I realized as we were going down the layer of these questions and the threads that were getting pulled on, they were really wondering, hey, can I trust you, Trevor? And one thing that I wanted to clarify at the end of that conversation is that I don't know what the future has in store. And... There are a lot of what ifs, and I found myself saying, you know, what if there was another civil war, um, or what if inflation ran away uh, greater than we've ever seen it? Um, and I'll make a joke: what if there's an alien invasion? I, I'm not I'm, that last joke. I'm not trying to belittle this idea, but what I am saying is that if you're gonna trust me, I am building a portfolio and building a financial plan based on what I've studied in history. I'm not building it based on every what if that's out there. So if there is an event that comes up that we've never seen before, I'm wholly, uh, fully uh, ready to be accountable for that. But I do want somebody to know if they're trusting me, I am not planning for all of those things because if you try to plan for those things, there's a cost associated. And from a probability standpoint, I think that that cost is greater than the rewards you're giving up. Definitely. Um, two things you said. Uh, the first one, isn't that such an uncomfortable thing when people ask you questions to see if they can trust you? I almost feel bad because there are people out there that will tell you whatever you want to hear. And they will they they will make you feel very good with the answer. And you're going to be like, wow, that was a really good answer. I trust this person. But <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. You know what I mean? Like It makes me think like the difference between like salesmanship and then someone who's like really acting in your best interest. So that, that was one thing that caught my eye. It's so hard to navigate that relationship. And that trust just really comes through uh, time and, and I guess uh, getting to know each other. But uh, the second point was it does make me wonder that if – I guess I'll ask you this question. You mentioned there's an opportunity cost. You and I have both seen um, instances where certain portfolios are structured a certain way because of the advisor's uh, kind of opinion or bias and uh, maybe you could talk, talk about that a little bit more. Like, what, what does that look like? If someone thinks some event's happening, what, what would that even mean? Yeah, I think what comes to mind for me, I remember uh, a particular client um, who is an absolutely lovely person. 
Um, and she came to me at one point with an existing portfolio of an advisor that I knew. Uh, you and I had worked in an office with that person. And if you had coffee with them or, or a lunch conversation, you would understand that they had a very particular worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very... I don't have a good descriptor. It's very Armageddon-esque. Doom and gloom, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and to each their own. But what I saw when I looked at the portfolio, and we've talked about this in the past, it was just scary, right? Because it was a lot of different foreign currencies. It was shorting the market. It was creating what we would call these kind of tail risk events that if this not this low probability event was to happen, there would be these large payoffs, but along the way, it would be really expensive. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't line up with what that individual client needed uh, in retirement, wanting income, kind of wanting simplicity to be able to understand the portfolio. And now we look back because this memory is, you know, dated seven or eight years old. Um, if they would have stayed the course for those seven or eight years, man, there was a heavy cost to pay. Absolutely. I was thinking of the exact same example because I remember us reviewing that uh, back at the last place we worked. And uh, it was kind of an eye-opening moment. It's like, whoa, that this happens all the time. People have their own their own worldviews and opinions, and, and then they kind of tell that narrative. And it it's a convincing story, right? It's easy to sell fear when scary things could happen. People will listen, you know? So, yeah, thanks for talking about that. That makes sense. That's that's one thing that I think we have a little bit of an advantage at the Bonson Group is when we get to talk about dividends, they resonate with people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people have, you know, oh, I remember, like, my parents, they uh, collected a dividend check, and, and they lived off that. And it makes logical sense that, hey, if you were a minority owner in a business, at some point, you would expect to share in the profits, right? Um, you don't want them to continue to reinvest in the company in perpetuity. Um, there's a reason you signed up to be an owner of that company. So it it is an advantage that we have that we don't have to lay out some real kind of scientific or complex presentation for why somebody should invest a particular way. Um, it is both simple to understand and it has some deep logic to it. Right. It definitely has merit. One one thing that I pointed out, I'm you know not everybody's a fan of of Jason Zweig, but I am. Uh, he's an author uh, in the Wall Street Journal, and uh, I really like the way that he writes, and I really really like the way he approaches finance, and that he's like a, a defender of the investor. Uh, in one of the things uh, in a recent interview I heard with him, he talked about this idea: Hey, how do you identify a true professional, like somebody with strong expertise? And his answer was surprising. But it resonated with me. His answer was that it should be somebody that says, I don't know, or let me get back to you, or it's probably this. Somebody that uses measured answers for things that they can't be exactly certain about. He said, when somebody always gives you an exact or certain answer, that's when you should be scared mm-hmm. because they are filling in the blank between what they can, what is knowable and what is unknowable with a level of certainty that doesn't belong there. That's so true. Yeah, when someone says, oh, you'll never have to worry about that, or it's always going to be like this, or I can guarantee that. It's kind of like, you know, you see flashing signs. The problem is, it's kind of like what I was talking about earlier, is it'll make you feel good. So let's say your concern is Ukraine. And then let's say I threw out three really good or or sound like reasonable points why that would never happen. You don't have to worry about it. And you go, all right, cool. 
And you go home and you go to lunch and, and you're like, oh, glad I don't have to worry about that anymore. But it doesn't make it true. So I, I couldn't agree with that more. So I, I guess now looking back at it as an advisor, what's the lesson that I draw from that is that next time one of those moments come up where I'm you know, encouraged to make a short-term forecast, I guess I just have to give really strong disclaimers that I enjoy guessing. I enjoy yeah. guessing who's going to win the Super Bowl. I like engaging in it. You and I like engaging in it's it. It's true. But um, we're coming at that. Um, we're coming into the realm of, of things that are unknowable. So I, I guess that just needs to be defined. The reason I say it that way is because I think trust is a beautiful thing. Uh, and I think it's something that um, if you're given it, you need to be responsible with and something that you should always respect. Uh, and I do think that clients, as they're doing their due diligence, should be um, making sure they get to a place that they trust the person across from them. But what I really, really want to make sure for myself as an advisor is that I never earn that trust by making promises that I can't really keep uh, or um, promoting uh, knowledge that's of stuff that's not really knowable. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think with the experience, too, it kind of gives you the ability to, to say, I don't know, and, and have peace with that. I think when you're maybe newer in a career or, or starting, you probably don't ever want to say, I don't know, because you feel like you'll lose credibility. But it's actually the opposite. It's, it's powerful to be able to say, I don't know, and the reason why, but I'm going to find out. And I, I think people, uh, I think that resonates with people. Okay, you called me out. You said at the end of this article, this whole basketball analogy, you're like, man, this didn't make sense. Yeah, I did. So I'm going to be honest with you right now. I'm going to be honest. Okay. I heard this, uh, I heard somebody talking about something similar to this and I just wanted to use it. <laughs> so it could be a stretch on how the connection point is, but let, just bear with me. All right. Land the plane. I want to hear the it. Plane. So, um, I, I basically put the, this list, if you go read the article, you'll see, um, of a ranking system of, uh, NBA players um, and it goes from Kobe, Kobe Bryant on there and LeBron James and Carl Malone and Dirk Nowitzki, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, all these people, Michael Jordan, that are notable that you would, you would, you would know, right? Um, and they're ranked from, from 1 to 20. And if I asked you to fill in the blank and tell me, um, hey, what is this ranking system based on? You might say somebody's you know, list of greatest players of all time or scoring leaders or whatever your conclusion might be. Uh, and I'd never thought about this, but it's super interesting. This is a list of the people who've missed the most shots. So uh, the all-time record goes to Kobe Bryant. He has the most missed shots. Now, this isn't, uh, like you joked around pre-podcast, um, an analogy of like, you won't make the shot that you don't take. It was more about if these people are experts, if these people are professionals, and they're wrong sometimes, they miss the shot, does it mean that it can't be coupled with greatness or good advice? And again, I was stretching for the analogy. You can laugh at me. It's fine. But it, th this thought just really resonate with me. It's like, wow, there's a list of, of the most missed shots of all time. And it's not a list of junky players. It's a list of the best players of all time. So now if I'm going to place the expectation on myself that I want to be an expert of my craft, um, am I going to miss some shots? Am I going to be wrong sometime? I am. Um, and is it going to be true that sometimes I'm wrong about something that's also coupled with good advice? That's going to be true too. So sometimes for these players, 
Is it a shot they absolutely should have taken? Yes. And is there a probability that they can miss? Yes. That was pretty good. That was it, much better than I thought it was going to be. Good job. <laughs> it was, but I did. I'm being honest with you. I heard um, an interview with Mark Andreessen, and he was talking about something similar. And I just, I, I just didn't want to wait for a future week. Yeah. I'm like, I want to talk about this. I don't know. I've never thought about that. Like, it's just weird for me to see. I guess if I asked you, like, if I made a list of of who's missed the most shots of all time, I guess if you had a moment to think about it, you'd probably intuitively think. Oh, it's going to be the guys that have taken the most shots, so it's the yeah. best players. But I guess my first reaction was like, oh, this is going to be a list of a bunch of... People we've never heard of. Dudes that because, never made it. Because they weren't very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is not to pick at your list, but it's it's probably it's number of shots, not percentage-based, of field goal, right? Of course. So, so these are all people that have been in the league for a long time, and you're not going to be in the league for a long time unless you're pretty good. Right. So I, but I, I definitely get the analogy. You're hundred percent right. And I think where, um, I'll kind of lead this. I remember talking to David Bonson, uh, just even about our own business. And I am sometimes maniacal about perfection. Um, on, on the Enneagram, which is a, uh, he's a one. Yeah. I'm a one. <laughs> I'm a one, which is like, uh, there's different names for it, but like, it's the perfectionist. So I like this idea of, of perfection, but one piece of advice that David Bonson gave me that's always stuck with me, um, is I was kind of critiquing somebody. I'm like, Hey, I wish this person was more perfect. And he was like, Hey, I've worked with this person for a very long time and they have one of the best batting averages that I've ever seen. So if your perfe- if your idea of perfection is that they would get something right every time you're setting the wrong expectation. But I'm telling you that this person is a person of greatness. And I was like, it floored me. I was like, he's exactly right. Like the greatest baseball players of all time. I don't, I think it's Ted Williams might have like the, the 406 or something. Like whatever that. Yeah, it yeah, is, yeah. It, it's not Four out e- of 10. <laughs> yeah, it's not even yeah. uh, the majority of the time. And I was like, oh, wow. Like sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to know every answer, to be right every time. And that is not where you earn trustworthiness. You earn trustworthiness on being willing to say you don't know, um, being willing to have a mea culpa, um, but, man, striving your darndest to always serve people with dignity and respect and your best effort forward. Um, So that was kind of my thoughts. I thought that was really good. I'm laughing looking at your list. Because I'm looking at players that are still playing, and I'm wondering how much further they'll move up the list. <laughs> yeah, I looked at that too, like a Russell Westbrook. Yeah, Carmelo missed some shots last night, so yeah, who knows? Yeah, but, but uh, it's, it is it is interesting. You came to the right conclusion that in order to make this list, you had to take a whole lot of shots. That's right. Uh, you got to have a long career, all these things. But it is interesting that um, we rarely go to – it's very normal for us to, to look at the positive statistics for a career – but um, I've, you know, I'm a basketball lover. Yeah. And I've, I, I just Googled it. I'm like, most misses of all time. I'm like, there's a list. There's a, it's perfect. All right, listeners. So you got the message. You won't make the shot if you don't take it. Yeah. I'm just kidding. That's not the message. <laughs> I, I guess what I'm going to do next now, because I'm just curious, is I want to now see the list of like greatest turnovers of all time. Because yeah. Sean and I play basketball together and he knows my weak point. I just love a good pass and I am the turnover king when it comes to, <laughs> to pick up basketball. Um, well, hey, I'll, uh, I'll bring it home. Um, titled article, I was wrong. And uh, sometimes I am wrong. 
Um, even though uh, I don't always admit it quickly, Sean's smirking at me. Uh, and that's okay. Um, our job is to give great advice. And we won't often be great short-term forecasters. Uh, we rarely will be. Um, but our job is to study the deep and rich market history that's available to us uh, and the deep and rich investor behavior history that's available to us and then come to serve our clients in the best fashion that we can uh, and do that day in and day out. That's our aspiration. So I'm going to close out the podcast, but if you have any final thoughts, I'll give you the microphone. No, I'm good. I've made fun of you about the list, and uh, I thought it was really good. I'm all set. So everybody has to listen to the podcast now, because otherwise, if they just read the article, they're not going to No, you're going to be really confused if you just read the article. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Well, uh, next week, I think the thought is, um, I have the notes on it, but uh, maybe I'll have you proof it first. But I do want to talk about this idea um, of a a finance word, which I hate using finance words, but there's this idea of an illiquidity premium. Ooh, that's Uh, a good one. mm, This idea that sometimes if we buy things that uh, are not tradable or, or sellable on a daily basis, that we can derive a benefit from that. Um, I want to dig deeper and identify where that benefit comes from and then associate why it's not just that something's illiquid, that a premium could be had, because we're jumping into a time where I think people have a large appetite for alternatives mm-hmm. uh, and there'll be a lot of people pitching things. So I think um, yep. having a general understanding of where that premium could come from uh, would be beneficial to our listeners. So big finance word, I'll make it simple. We'll tackle it next week. For now, we're going to ask that you rate the podcast. Obviously, five stars are preferred, um, even if you didn't understand the article. Uh, Comments are welcome. You can email either Sean or I, Trevor Cummings, at Tom, or actually, let's go backwards, Tom at thebonsongroup.com, and we're happy to answer any of your questions, uh, ideas of things that you want us to discuss. We are all in. Uh, But most importantly, we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts Thoughts on on Money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.